I've reached Jared Hogan. Please leave a message at the beep. And I'm not doing the sponsors this week. This season of good is sponsored by Kessler Crane, manufacturers of innovative tools for filmmakers. Make sure to check out KesslerCrane.com. That's K-E-S-S-L-E-R-C-R-A-N-E.com for more info. This season of good is also sponsored by Musicbed. Musicbed has been changing the game when it comes to music licensing for filmmakers through curating the best indie music in the world. We personally use them all the time, so make sure you do too. For more info, check out Musicbed.com. Now here's the show. Hey everyone, my name is Jared Hogan. And I'm Christian Schultz. And this is good. Oscar's coming up this weekend, huh? Yeah, I wish you could come to my Oscar party. What are you doing? What kind of dip are you having? Uh, I haven't planned that that far ahead yet. That's the first thing I plan. Um, if I'm honest. Yeah. Well, what, what would you have hypothetically? I'd have a mixture of quesos. Some cheese quesos. You mean like all in one, all in one thing, or you have a yeah, like three different versions, like a spicy queso. You have a regular cheesy queso, and you have some other kind of fancy queso. It's kind of what I do with my thing. (laughs) I turned thirty in two months, so I'm. Are you sad? No, I'm actually kind of excited about it. Um, I think like um, I'm ready to be a young thirty-year-old instead of an old (laughs) twenty-year-old. Is that a thing? Uh, Is it a thing that like old kind of people talk about? Hmm. Like the difference between like being a, an old twenty year old and uh, I'm just ready to 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 just tie the bow on this decade and uh, <laughs> be a, an adult. Okay. okay. Although you could argue I've been an adult since I was like twenty three. Anyway, so all that to say, I'm I'm uh, kind of uh, basically I, I I actually decided I'm going to eat um, just grilled chicken and spinach. For two months, <laughs> and I and okay. and, work, and work out a lot. So I just want to be, you know, when I enter my next decade, I just want to be yeah. in tip-top shape. <clears throat> so anyway, there all that to say, there there will not be queso at my party, or if there is, I will not be partaking. Right. Okay. But you are throwing a party. That I am throwing a party. Yeah, I've done this. Will be like the fifth year in a row, maybe sixth year. What would you do if I showed up unannounced to your I'd party? I'd be so happy. I'd be. I'd be really happy. I would <laughs> be. And yeah. you brought. You got like your arms full of queso. Yeah, I'd, I'd <laughs> pre-made be. queso that I put on the flight with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy about yeah. that. Looking forward though, uh, this week is kind of a big one. At least for the show, I th- in in my personal opinion. Yeah. Why um, do you say? Why do you say that? Uh, because we have a, a incredible guest on the show. His name's Andre Stringer, and um, yeah. <clears throat> I think he's more influential than people might yeah. know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. I don't think he's like. That. Yeah. He like the name recognition. At least like you know, for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the commercial space is, is maybe like a little lower, but I think if you knew like what he was involved in and what he did, which you'll kind of learn during the episode. Yeah. You, you've, you should have a lot of respect for Andre. I, I remember several years ago I was, um, somebody called me, I think it was actually like a new era spot or something. And, um, they wanted me to come in like and and do it, and they're like, "Oh, you need to like we really want it to be like an Andre Sp- uh, Stringer kind of spot." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, cool, cool, cool." And then I I didn't know who Andre was at the time, and so I like went to his Vimeo or website or something, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, he did all of this. <laughs> he basically like invented like the yeah. uh, the the modern like sports." like Under Armour Gatorade Nike spot pretty much. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So today we got to kind of like see behind the curtain on, uh, who Andre is and where he came from and all that. So, so, uh, perk up your ears, pull up the chair, sip on some juice, grab some queso. It's Andre time. It's Andre time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's the show. Um, let's just start with, uh, some, some simple zingers. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> Love zingers. <laughs> okay. Uh, what does your everyday look like? What do you do every day? 
well, I mean, you know, I, I think you guys would be familiar with it. Directing is sort of has a lot of different days, but I think they're pretty much divided into two categories, the day of a director and the day of a dad, you know? So yeah, the day of the dad is, is like when I'm not working actively on set and I'm, you know, doing the everyday domestic life scenario, yeah. um, you know, which is a work day too, always. I mean, you know, pitching or whatever. Um, and then the day of a, the day of, you know, being in production or, yeah. you know, is like its own monster that has its own, Life and I, I'm, I'd be hard pressed to tell you exactly what that looked like. Although there are some commonalities, from, you know, job to job. How many kids do you have, Andre? I just have one. One boy, eight years old. Dope. So Christian's about to become a dad. Did you have any um, advice? Oh, for him? yeah. <laughs> Having a newborn is a bitch, though. I gotta say, like, <laughs> like a working person being new. Having a seven-year-old or having a having a kid who's a proper kid is is pretty enjoyable, but being Having a newborn is like a shit show, but you yeah, know. <laughs> but yeah, enjoy it, you know, because it does go by quickly, and there's all the things that. And I always said to people, "Is like you always, everybody always says, oh, I love being a dad,' and it's like it was so awesome to have a kid. And it's changed my life, and so I'm like, I don't know what the fuck world you're living in because that's not the exact one that I lived in. But like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, so I, I always like to tell people, like my friend Tom, it was like when he was having his kid, I, was, I remember saying like. It's going to be crazy, dude, but don't worry. It's like temporal, temporary. You just have to trudge through it. And, and then, and then, it, then you know, you get past the year and it becomes more like, as soon as you don't have to push around strollers, you're good to go. You know? yeah. Was there anything that you wish that you had done with a newborn that you uh, can't do now? Uh, no, I don't think Aside so. Aside from, you know, throwing them around and stuff like that. No, I, I, I think, I think I, you know, I think, I think at that age, it's like, you know, it's all about hugs, you know, sure. it's like connecting in that way, you know, more so than it is about the things you do per se. I mean, you just have to be there, but, um, and make sure that, you know, life continues. Um, yeah. but, I, but I think, you know, later on now it's like when you, you know, being a working father who, where I spend big portions of time in other countries and I'm in on the move all the time. It's like, that's the tough part. Cause life goes by very quickly and you know you go away for a month and a half or two months you come back and you're like oh shit he's a new totally new person <laughs> and like then like <laughs> right right the two yeah. months before so it's the, you know that's that's when some of the the you know some of the some of the regret comes into life i think you know yeah yeah i understand that um so andre i i was um it's probably like two or three years ago i had this guy uh, reach out to me. It was like some, um, it was like this new era, like a uh, commercial job. And, uh, he was like, yeah, I kind of want to be like this. And, um, he was like, like really like Andre Stringer, like, and I had never heard of you at the time. And, uh, and, uh, I was like, Andre, I don't even know who this guy is. And then I looked you up and I was like, Oh, Andre Stringer, I guess is the guy who does like all of like the dope like athletic commercials that I love <laughs> like every single thing on your site. I was like, Oh, I do love that commercial. I just had no idea that Andre Stringer directed all of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't like, know anymore, but yeah, but that was, tell, that tell was. me about, I am curious, like, cause I, you may disagree. You may, whatever. I don't know. Um, it seems to me though, at least in that moment, I was like, Oh, I guess he kind of invented like the, uh, the like the mo the modern, like the commercial. Yeah. Would would you say that is your responsibility? <laughs> that that that's your uh, is that true? Oh, good God, dude! No, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would I would love to say that I did, but that would be I would think that I know you can't say that. It would but be like kind of misrepresentation. I think history is sort of so smeary; it's hard to say, especially in spots in commercials. It's like we all know this. It's like it's one step, you know, one step more legitimate, you know than fashion, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, it's yeah. like it changes so, so quickly and, you know, things are so, you know, everybody's informing everybody else that it's a pretty tough, it's a pretty tough thing to say that anybody invented one thing. You know? How, how do you like balance like, uh, cause you know, people are reaching out to you because they want that thing. And then how do you stay ahead of the curve when they want that thing? Yeah. I mean, once you, 
I mean, there's, you know, I always say there's two jobs, you know, there's the job of getting the job and the job of doing the job. Yeah. Um, and they are, they are sort of, uh, sort of independent endeavors, although one informs the other, you know, like you, you start working on something, um, somebody comes to you with an idea and, and may have a lot of reference. It might have a lot of things that you've done before. It may have stuff that other people have done before a lot. Um, and so I think like every job you owe something new to it. Uh, but sometimes that's kind of iterative. You know, I think like for me, change, change in my work has been something that happens in steps rather than necessarily being like uh like like just real big jumps although you have those in your career yeah. you know they happen big jobs seminal jobs for you you know for me have been you know really have game changed for me because i you know i started as a <clears throat> i started as a skateboarder as a i shot skating since i was probably 13 yeah um and by the time I was in my twenties, like my early twenties, I was sort of sick of being broke, and I went <laughs> I went into something else that was completely different. I went into design and animation. So, like for me, it was like I spent my twenties, you know, doing something that I, is completely different than I do now. So, obviously, like you know, as I got older, I started you know evolving and changing, and you start doing different stuff, and then you have like one big job that says like, okay, this is something really different for me. Um, that then, you know, in the case of, for me, it was like, you know, working with Under Armour and doing a lot of that work that I did early on in my career, you know, as a live action director where like, where the things were like, okay, that's really gonna, that really opens up a new door to different, you know, something I haven't been doing much of before, but. Right. So, uh, in the work that you're doing now or the work, the, that kind of early athletic stuff, like the, the Under Armour stuff, the Gatorade stuff, who, who do you feel like was informing your work the most at the time from like your past or, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, I watched a lot of, um, I mean, I, I, you know, cause I was sort of, I come at it from a designer's point of view, I think. And it's like, kind of know the marketplace, you know, you're, you have to quickly change. You got to like. You, you really have to see what people are doing and find, I used to call it the, I still do to some degree. It's like, I would call it like the, the wedge theory. I just need a little crack in the armor of the marketplace and like kind of hmm. wedge, wedge my way into that and then open it up and make my own space, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think in live action, I mean, there's as a director, there's just, you know, you have great competition. There's so many good people. You really fight hard to um, find your own voice, you know, because it's so much of, there's only so many v- things that you have, tools that you have to work with to create something new, and the jobs themselves have some fixed assets, so I really, um, I really looked at a lot of the guys who were working at, you know, I always am looking at the guys who are working at the time, you know, and yeah. kind of get a good sense of what everybody's doing, and I mean, and, you know, now it's like, now it's a little bit different because I don't have to look at just the guys who are making sports spots or just the guys who are making commercials in general. You know, it's like looking at, you know, like looking at the guys who are working in, you know, in features too and being able to sure. sort of like see where I could have a voice in that world as well and understand a little bit better about my own yeah. sensibility that, you know, for character and for uh, tone and you know, and then some of the filmmaking things are sort of the things I work on probably the most, uh, you know, the tools and those things are the things I spend the most time working on, I guess, because they're just, I come from a world of design where you're, you know, really the the typography is like the camera mm-hmm. is like, you know, so you have like a lot of the same like fixations on learning, learning yeah, the yeah. tools, learning the, you know, learning the new stuff that comes out. So let's go back to... um 13-year-old Andre uh, shooting skateboarding music videos. Uh, yeah, where did that kind of start for you? Um, you know, I, I grew up in Maryland, so around Baltimore. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time, you know, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in just, you know, shooting with big VHS cameras, you know, learn, you know, this similar story that a lot of guys come up in that world, you know. Um, but then... You know, as I grew, like, you know, shooting in high eight, shooting in, 
um, shooting, like, you know, it was, it was actually really hard for me to go back to shooting video again after shooting film because I came from that world. And at that time, it had such <laughs> a negative stigma to it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I waited a long time before I started shooting Alexa and now Red, you know, because it, it took me, it took some, like, getting over the, am I regressing in my work by doing this? <laughs> kind of, yeah, like, sure. But as a, definitely as a kid, I, you know, I like the availability of tools, you know, it's like having having whatever camera I could have, you know, to, and starting to shoot on that um, was, was huge for me. So, you know, I, I, I probably spent the most time shooting with a VX1000, you know, like a Sony little, like, uh, you know, DV camera. Um, yes. <laughs> and big lenses and, you know, baggy pants. <laughs> I, I remember like, yeah, like I, I feel like I kind of grew up at a interesting time where it was like, you know, most of the guys that I know now who are a little bit younger than me, they've only known like taking a card out and putting it in a computer. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a little fortunate, you know, I, I was obviously, I'm too young to have, I've really like gotten into film when I was younger, but I still like, you know, had to take like a physical tape out and like watch everything and like, uh, and uh, I forget what that the whole process was called, but like where you would like import clips like from the tape, capture, 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 yeah. yeah. And it just took forever, and it was like you wouldn't just shoot like stupid stuff because you knew you're going to have to like watch through it and have to like <laughs> pick. And so I feel like a little fortunate that like I I you know was on like the very very tail end of like there being like some kind of like physical, actual like medium like tape. I know yeah, that's well, stupid. They used, to, they used to what we used to do when we shot. It's kind of like the idea of a take, like or a print, you know, like in the old school method yeah. paradigm. We used to always put our hand in front of the camera so that we knew where the trick was that we because you'd shoot for like hours to just get yeah. one trick. People just falling, falling. I just said <laughs> I would just sit on my knees all day and just like be shooting ledge tricks and like it was just ridiculous. So but then that one trick that they landed, you're like, you see a hand in front when you're fast forwarding through the the, vid, the tape, and then you're like, oh shit, that's the one, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so who was it, who in the, in that time? I guess uh, I don't know how old you were you are now, but who was like the guy as far as when it came to skateboard videos? I came up in the '90s, so I mean, I'm 41 now, so I I came up in the world of like the Ty Evans. Um, who okay. now, you know, is, is making commercials and film still too. So, I mean, um, but you know, I mean, prior to that, it'd be like Stacy Peralta, those guys made yeah. big films. So, um, yeah, I think there's a, there were, I mean, there's so many good people in that specific little microcosm of, of, you know, early filmmaking and, the cool thing is those are the first, you know, these are the first guys who started using editing, you know, non-linear editing and yeah. started editing yeah. computers. Dude, so. I used to be obsessed with uh, Dogtown, the Z-Boys. Yeah. And uh, what's the one he did about surfing? Was uh, Did you ever see that one? The one that Stacey yeah. Crawford did about surfing? Yeah, those, uh, are, those are both great documentaries. They're amazing. Very they're cool. amazing. Um, okay, so then uh, you were skateboarding for a while. And then when, when did it become like, well, maybe this is like uh, a thing, like, my 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 like life's work is going to be filmmaking well you know because a lot of guys just skate you know the idea of like following through with school and doing that side of things tends not to be part of the trajectory for people you know they yeah. tend to go like i'm gonna go skate and then they get kind of pulled into the cities or onto the tours and stuff and right you know i was i was lucky enough that i sort of you know had a lot of people around me who weren't just skateboarders. So I, you know, yeah. I, was, I was friends with lots of people who were just photographers and creative people in general. So when I was a kid, it was easier for me to see that like, there's all these aspects of your personality. You have this active side, the side of like creation, the side of writing, the side of, mm -hmm. you know, and you want to use them all and you want to exercise them. So I still, I went, I mean, I went to a state school. I went to Towson in Maryland and it's like a, totally not a film school it's a but the greatest thing about it was that it wasn't a film school so basically <laughs> and basically everybody you know the basic premise was if you're here you're never going to be 
like the big director. You know what I'm saying? Mm. If you're here, you're going to be working. You, you're, it's just a stepping stone to be working in, in some aspect of the trade, you know? And it, and it really made me nuts and bolts oriented, you know? Um, yeah. It made me like really understand that there are, it's not just like the only option in film is to be like the author at that stage, you know, when yeah. you, mm. there's an, there's an option to be like part of the team or to be, you know, part of the idea origination, you know, or, you know, so I, I spent a lot of time at that stage really focused on, you know, like learning practical trades and crafts I could use in my video in the skateboard work that I was doing or in other stuff. And that's what, so I, that's why I went into design because it was sort of, it was, you know, at the time it was like when After Effects came out. Yeah. You know, I first started animating in 93. So, I mean, it was like, wow. That was like the time when it was just beginning and you were just sort of seeing things. And I remember when like the main, you know, the main title for seven came out and it was just like, yeah. oh, shit, I need, I want to do that. For <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And you did that for a while. Yeah. So for, I did that for 20 years. I, I was, I owned a company called Shiloh, which was a like wow. a design animation company. Um, I ran the New York office and I did that as like a, like a, I mean, I worked for a number of other studios actually as well, but that was the places where I first started, you know, directing spots. And a lot of that was, you know, design. And so you started that. Yeah. I had a, I have a part of the company still around and, and, uh, my old partner, Jose is, is running that thing. So we're, we, you know, we just, I just started to doing live action ex- exclusively a few years ago. Like, Charlotte was, uh, known a lot for doing the, uh, like not, obviously not the first people, but, did a lot of bigger commercials with uh, animation and live action stuff. Like I remember just the Mini Cooper stuff coming out. Is that you? That was you guys, right? Um, yeah. The Mini Cooper stuff back in the day, and then um, I, th- I just remember seeing it, and it was like, 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 whoa! I don't. I, I know it's been around for a while, but I feel like Shiloh was kind of uh, one of the innovators. I don't know if you ever got into them, Jared, but Shiloh's kind of one of the the OGs of that stuff. I think, in my opinion. Yeah, we were, I mean, I, you know, there was a, a great legacy of guys who, who were, you know, mixing live action and design, but I, I was lucky because I was in, I came from live action background in this weird, you know, like ad hoc improv kind of skateboarding world. And then I, right. I never stopped doing it. So when I started going into design only, you know, it was always like using photography or it was always using some live element, you know, right um, to, to build a world. So, you know. And like in 2004, I, I did a main title that I won an Emmy for that was, you know, sort of like at that point I was like, okay, this is, I, I sort of done what I wanted to do in, you know, in, in, in main titles and yeah. Kind of. So do you, uh, do you chat with uh, Danny Yunt at all? Yeah. You know Dan, yeah. I love Danny. Danny's, uh, I, you know, I, him and I worked together at uh, digital kitchen. Okay. 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 Around 2000. Um, 2001, 2002, and then him and I, you know, like had some great times. I used to actually, he was one of the first people I animated for as like, a, when I went to first went to work there, I was like put with like, you know, more senior creative directors who were managing jobs. And he was one of the first guys I like right. got to be one of his like animators. And I really enjoyed and respected that. Danny's kind of like a, like a, uh, a godfather character to me. Yeah. You know, have you, I mean, if, if anybody's ever met him, you, I think most people would say that, but every time that I meet him, it's just like, he gives me so much wisdom on just like anything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not even usually about work, but, uh, I love Danny. He's a great guy. I loved working with him. He's, you know, and it's like, uh, I now, I mean, it's still incredibly inspiring to watch that thread of work you know, mature yeah. and evolve and continue to innovate. And, you know, I think like he's, I mean, you can't fuck with Danny. I mean, he's one of the, right. <laughs> yeah. from a design point of view, from an animation point of view, he pretty much like smashes it and has, has shown it on very high levels and worked. Yeah. Some, right. Right. Some of the biggest work that you can do. Okay. So to get the time, I'm trying to see if I can follow the whole uh, timeline here. You started Shiloh, like how long after school did you start that? Uh, so I graduated college in 97. So then we started Shiloh in about 2000. So three okay. years after. 
What did, what then, did looking like? What did starting that look like? Looked like working in my house. <laughs> you know, like it looked like you know, and then growing it to a, a like a you know fifty sixty man shop. You know, wow, that's crazy. Did you guys know? Did you guys kind of want like desire that kind of team, that size of team? Uh, no, you know, I probably, it was probably the most fun and easiest to make work when it was a really small, you know, when I made Huff, actually, when I made the main title for Huff, it was just like five of us in my, um, in my, in my studio in New York in like a, in a two bedroom, you know, basically apartment where we had this top like subdivided, you know, like what's it called? Like a a second tier level in the main room, in our living room. And up there essentially it was this short room and everyone, like I'm six, three, all the animators were all like over six foot and including me. And we were all sitting up there and I just remember <laughs> like sweating my ass off with as many computers as we could buy to, to render it. <laughs> so it was yeah. a common story in the, in the life of, an, of, you know, the guys who come up in that world. Yeah. I'm kind of curious though. Um, what's, what was like the impetus, I guess, of, of starting it? Like what was the, the idea, or like, what was the desire that you guys wanted from starting your own company, as opposed to working you know, at other shops? Right. Uh, you know, I mean, for me, it was more. Uh, you know, I, I I sort of had like a anti-authoritarian streak in me at that time, so I kept <laughs> getting fired from places. So I just started. <laughs> 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 that was sort of like the reason. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, so I, it's, it takes a lot of like energy to to negotiate the process of working with all these guys, you know, who have different agendas than I do. I need to just right. start simple and work, you know, like a little bit more. So it was good, good cathartic, good like, um, you know, maturing process of like learning how to, you know, work with people. And as soon as you yeah. own your own company, you really like start understanding that. There's all these people who rely on you, and you really have to like do your best to try to balance their objectives for their careers and your objective as like a business owner, and and try to balance those two things because it's like they're not always in line. And and but at the end of the day, you want to continue having great, you know, your friends, and you know they they're great people to work with. So you know, we really, I think. As a per, as a human, I grew a lot, you know, during that. Period. Yeah. Do you uh, do you have an interesting firing story that you would share with us? Of getting fired myself? <laughs> yeah. Oh no, let's not go there. <laughs> That's a dark place. Yeah, there's much more interesting things for us to talk about than. <laughs> just wondering if there's just like a big like moment where it's just something really interesting happened, but like he threw some probably fine. I'm sure there's some people who'd like to talk to you about that. <laughs> Okay, and how, how long were you uh, were you in Shiloh doing that? Uh, For ten years. That? Ten years. Why yeah. did you leave? Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it became like a place where I was, like, most of the time I was out shooting, so it became less easy for me to help be a force within the company because I yeah. was literally like, you know, like even now I, I'm. <clears throat> where I don't have to shoot for a whole company. I'm just shooting for myself. I, I'm, you know, I'm on set like a week every month at least, you know? So, right. So, you know, at that point I was, I was carrying a whole company worth of direction, you know, and I had to, yeah. I was, so I really, I really did a lot of, uh, I was away a lot and, and it really, I think took away from the, like the potency of the, you know, of the shop in a way, because it was like, it was a really, a, supposed to be and intended to be a design and animation shop and it was sort yeah. of evolving into a live action production shop which I don't you know it, it it was sort of deviating from I think what we had planned it to be just yeah. because of of like the necessity of my changing uh you know objectives in a way so right right well was it that kind of led you to like uh and maybe it's impossible to say but your interests kind of shifting you, you know, I think like uh, there's, you know, when you, in, in the world of, of, of like visual effects, design and animation, like so much of the work is done by previs. And mm-hmm. I think that notion really ran against some of my fundamental mm. uh, intuitive approach. Yeah. Um, you know, I really, 
I really love spontaneity. I love setting things up. Like I call it the computer program of film. Like you kind of like, you come up, your job as a director is to put all the right pieces in place, the right actors, the right locations, the right ideas for each shot, the right textures, the right, the right um, team that, you know, and, and then see how it plays out and then kind of tinker with it. And I really love doing that, but that's really difficult to do in, in visual effects. Yeah. You have to engineer all the things that become feel that feel spontaneous, that feel candid, that feel Mm, happenstance. And, and it, after a while, that gets a little tiring because it's like much more fun to just go out with people, and I loved people, and I loved being in the real world, and I really just wanted to be in real sets a lot more. And as I started getting into, I mean, it's funny I got into it more from the side of of uh, of like writing, where we are writing spots. You know, we are we are working more yeah. as like a little mini agency for Under Armour at the time, and we are writing. You know, mixture between animation spots for like shoes and sh- kind of shoe pornish kind of things, and then we were writing big <laughs> campaigns. You know, like you know, at the time, so it was yeah. it, it sort of came out of necessity working there that I really got the big push where I was like, okay, I need to. But actually, you know, I did this spot for Guinness like right before that, and that was sort of the one where I was like, okay, this is where the live action's got to go. You know, it's got to be yeah. at that level. I remember that spot, man. That's yeah. huge. It's huge. Um, okay, yeah, so then you move on from Shiloh, and then what's next? Um, so, you know, I spent a, a year just sort of, you know, doing mostly foreign work, working for production companies, trying to find, a, a like, a, a new place to work. Yeah. Uh, what was that process like for you? That's a, that's a t- really tough process. And, I you know, for all directors trying to get representation and find a company that fits for them, it's a, it's a such a, I mean, I have so many friends who are directors, so I get to talk to them all the time as they go yeah. through this same process that I've been, you know, and, 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 uh, it's, it's definitely one where you're like, you have to make, you know, it's committal. There's a certain aspect of like, I have to decide on, on going to someplace and I hope it works and I hope yeah. I can get work and I hope I can, you know, I hope it's the right company and I hope it's the right, you know, it points me in the right direction, you know? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, you never really know. And, and so, you know, for me, it was like, I, I didn't work for, I don't know, eight months or so, just sort of just trying to find the right, the yeah. right place to work at that time. Cause it was such a different place. I, I nobody knew who I was cause I never was directing under my own name. Yeah. You know, I was always directing under our shop's name before. And then I kind of came out and I was like, who the fuck is this dude, you know? And yeah. the marketplace didn't really, they kind of knew the work like you're talking about, like you said, like yeah. people knew the work. They knew, oh, he did this or this for Saucony or this for, but I I didn't know who did that, you know, because it wasn't like in every press, you yeah. know, it wasn't out there in that way. I wasn't really positioning myself in that way at that time. So it was kind of, I had to, it was like a rebrand, you know, I had to go out there and yeah, tell the world a, a, a new version of myself, so. You're talking to two two guys who are like um, <laughs> at the moment going through that exact same yeah. process. Yeah. Uh, tell what, what things were important to you when you're considering like what company was right for you. You know, like I, I for me it was it was it's a lot of it's a personality thing because I think at the end of the day, you know, the shops are, um, you know, if you get you know at different parts stages in your career, you need different things. And so, you know, like in a big shop, like a big A-list shop, you know, you're going to get a certain level of like, you're going to have, you're going to be in a different pool of people. You're going to have a different level of, of, um, of sort of like mentorship or whatever you need at that time in a, in in, in a, in a shop that's like kind of growing in a smaller shops, you get a different level of it and you're working with different reps and they're working for different jobs. So like, there's definitely... I feel like, um, you know, for me, it was it was it was really looking for a place where I could um, find people I like to work with, like that yeah. EPs that and and producers that I really felt like would get behind me as a as a director and saw the, my value. Yeah. Um, 
who would be then be able to like you know telegraph that to like the reps and and then to the potential clients or whatever and and I think as a young director you definitely you know you're really looking for people to draft off of you know you're looking yeah. for like places where there's other guys who are have a lot of heat and traction and can only do a certain amount of work and you know at that stage you can help pick up the slack you know and yeah. for me at the time when I went to reset it was like I was probably I think I was the first person that they signed um, to the company to, that Dave signed to the company you know and then I I waited for the you know for them to build a roster after that so it was like six months oh wow chilling waiting for them <laughs> to put in all the different pieces you know and get all the great talent that they ended up putting in and and when all the pieces kind of came together it really helped me a lot because the other people were the people who were really get, getting the attention you know and all I needed to do is like I call it the Tom Brady moment you know it's like that moment when I get the right job I fucking have to convert at that stage you know and that, and do the best work I possibly can that'll get people interested in me as a and that right, doesn't really right. stop. It doesn't really stop. It's not one moment, you know. It like it. People keep, you know, the marketplace is is very competitive, and you have to keep trying to make something new every turn. You know, get people right. inspired. I have a question, kind of on that uh, note. How do you approach doing something uh, new every time, but? Uh, not feeling like it has to be uh, like a career defining film. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's all, there's, I mean, if you're very lucky, there's enough work coming in that you can figure out the ones that are the best ones to do. And, you know, there's always kind of a leap of faith in those jobs too, because, you know, the jobs come, they have some, you know, they're never perfect. They always come and they have some, you can see in them like a potential, but, you also need to, you know, like help kind of evolve them, you know. And sure, I think that's, sure. you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of every job is a little bit like that. <laughs> you know, there are, you know, there's some jobs that are clear, like this is a game changer. You know, like if right. I do this one and I do it, even if I just get out there and do it my the way that I do all the work that I'll ever do you know, instinctually without putting a lot of thought into it, it'll still be a very good piece of film and I'll be able to use it to get more work or whatever, you know. Right, right. Um, But there's definitely um, a lot of work that falls into the middle ground. You know, like you want to try to strive and make it better. You want to kind of make it, you know, it may not be seminal. It may not be that piece of work that really changes things radically, but it may have an like I was saying, like an iterative effect it may have like a slightly different take on it. Like when I did Gatorade, you know, Gatorade was different than my Under Armour work because it just had one different aspect to it. It had some little voice aspect of the right, performance. Right. And so it was like, all I need to do is add that one little aspect. And it, it was something else, you know, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. it wasn't like this big epic, you know, monstrosity of a game changer, but it was like, Oh, that felt like fucking cool. That had an attitude, you know? <laughs> and that's all I was looking for in it, you know? Like, so it didn't, it wasn't like totally brand new. It wasn't total game changer, but I found something else that I hadn't done up to yeah. that point. Yeah. Are, you ta- are you talking about the idea of, of the one more thing? Yeah. yeah. So was that, did that kind of come out of uh, the past like commercials that you were doing, feeling like you were in a, maybe like a rut or something, like continuing to do the same thing over and over again? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, no, because, you know, it, it could have been like my, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, I did this, the first big Under Armour campaign that I did that was like, yeah, yeah. Um, it was sort of a, a like a, a gritty, you know, it's something that a lot of people do a lot of now, um, but at the time there wasn't a lot of it being done, you know, so it was like yeah, this yeah. improvised athletic dirty gritty world that wasn't like a fucking you know the thing that we we talked about when we were making is like this definitely does not want to be like a like a like one of those fitness commercials you see on tv you know but it's still but it still is really fundamentally a fitness (laughs) you know like it it is like you know training i used to it's like training spots and so i didn't want to do another one of those um when we got to under i mean when i got to uh to the next piece of Under Armour work that I did, the, like the, that became, you know, that was something that I sat with the CEO and a friend of mine. 
we sat down, Nate and I wrote that spot with the CEO and, the, and a couple of guys in their in-house team. And we just <laughs> sat there and wrote wow. it. And we tried to write something different because we'd already done this like gritty training thing. So we wanted to make something that had like more of a world vision to it that like took you, showed you around, you know. So we tried to do something different there. And I wanted to make it a little bit more graphic and a little bit more like color be a big part of it. Um, but by the time we got to, by the time I got to Gatorade and I was working with Max Goldman, like was him and I had been working. He was a deep, he's a DP friend of mine. We had been working and, and sort of trying to find evolution in each of those jobs because he worked on them all with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So by the time we got to that piece for Gatorade, it was like, it didn't have a lot of money. It didn't have barely any time to shoot it, you know, so we really had to like think about things that were cheap and easy that would like give it a little bit more. And we knew it was like a world stage kind of piece because some of those other pieces, they didn't have ad buys that like Gatorade does, you know, Gatorade right. ran yeah. on TV. So it was like one of these things where you wanted to give it your own piece of signature. Um, you want to give it something new, you know, you knew that you didn't really have to do a lot different, frankly, to, to make it good for them, effective. Um, so, you know, I think it was a good job for that respect in that respect. After the break, we talk more with Andre about working with DP Max Goldman on some of the biggest sports ads in the world. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. This musical break is brought to you by our friends at Musicbed. While you've been sucking down queso every year during the Oscars, Musicbed has been helping score Oscar-nominated short films like Body Team 12 and Joe's Violin, featuring songs from Solomon Lichtum, A.J. Holkhalter, and Ryan Talbert. If you're looking to up your film's Oscar status, check out Musicbed to discover music from dozens of genres and the soundtracks from these nominated films. Make sure to use promo code GOOD at checkout for 20% off your entire purchase. For more than a decade, Kessler Crane has been designing and manufacturing innovative tools for filmmakers, including camera cranes, jibs, motion control systems, sliders, dollies, tripods, and other camera accessories. They also have a commitment to making products in the USA. For more info, go to KesslerCrane.com good. That's K-E-S-S-L-E-R-C-R-A-N-E dot com slash good. Also enter the code GOODPODCAST during checkout. Save 10% off your entire order. Now let's get back to the show. I think some of that commercial specifically on Max's end has some of the like best commercial cinematography I think I've ever seen. As far as like the uh, the movement that you guys came up with, um, I would be interested to hear like those beginning conversations. You know, like how did you guys come up with that, or how did Max kind of come up with those movements? Yeah, I mean, him and I worked together on a lot of that stuff because we had had this long legacy of experimenting. And we used to call it, we would like, it would be like the, we would have like little portions of the day that we would just call like our lab, you know, where yeah, we would just yeah. do random shit, you know, like <laughs> we would do like stop motion or we'd do, we'd add something into the, into the paradigm that you just didn't expect from the genre. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was like sort of a way of trying to find something original. So by the time we got to those later jobs, we had really, you know, we knew we liked Steadicam. We knew we liked, you know, uh, we knew we liked like some, I had some ideas about rigging like that I thought were like relevant because I can't, because I came from an, like 3D animation, I did a lot of the camera work in my own 3D work. Yeah. Like, yeah, there was this thing called parenting and camera work in like animation where you fix the camera or you fix any object to another object and you move right, another right. object and then it moves the the parent it moves the sibling object you know and so we in 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 that specific spot we really worked on a lot of this thing called parenting you know that I called parenting where it was like people had done it Guy Ritchie had smashed it with like body cam stuff and I didn't want to do that at all. Um, I didn't, I wanted to do something else that was like, you know, so we did a lot of like rigging at two objects, like the weights and that kind of thing that really gave 
a unique voice to the piece. Um, but we also used a lot of like in, in Under Armour, we also used a lot of um, the Steadicam Mark IV or whatever, which is like this the Revolution rig, which is like a kind of a jib arm on a Steadicam. Yeah, okay. okay. And that one was uh, awesome too. This guy, Chris McGuire, is like an amazing operator and he he really helped us in that respect, I think. I think Max's contribution is like paying attention to that stuff. I mean, he's just so involved yeah. in, the, in the film. He's, and there's so, it's so easy for DPs to be, especially with directors who have an interest in working on set, not just sitting behind a monitor. Like, it's easy for them to get and sort of step back and not you know, get as involved, you know, and I think Max is the great thing about Max and all the DPs I work with are that they, they see it as like the camera and the performance are like tied together with, yeah. you can't pull them apart. They're not, the performance right. is not different than the camera. The camera is there and the performance is there and they both work together and they have to. So, you, you know, like sometimes I have to operate you know, because it's the performance needs to be talked through while it's happening and you can't do it from far away. You know, you're not going to yeah. be fucking sitting on a microphone yelling. And if I'm standing <laughs> next to somebody else operating, they're running into me, you know, because it's right. you, when you're working on a dynamic set, you know, you're always like, you're just, who knows what's going to happen next, you know. So that's why I like, like somebody like Sean Bobbitt, too, as a DP, who I don't have never worked with, but listening to him talk, you know, like I, I thought his camera image lecture about handheld was was fucking on point if you haven't seen that you should watch it it's it's dope yeah I'm gonna do i that. think the is that the one where they kind of built this set and he just does like yeah. he shows you how he like gears up and everything yeah yes yeah, i thought i just watched that not that long ago and i was like wow that's it was from 2013 but i was like that's he's like he's like giving people the nuggets like that's, yeah that's every every good piece of advice is is in there Right. So I think I think that's where you know Max comes from is definitely in the similar school you know in terms of like yeah. Yeah. you know physicality and and really being involved in the in the like scene in a way that's like an organic you know flowing uh, participatory event. Yeah. You know? yeah. What what uh, is like your pet peeve on set? Pet peeve. What like pisses you off just like the most? not paying attention like the rest of the like when when the the whole set gets so chaotic that nobody's paying attention to the objective of the shot that thing is like if you there's amazing behind the scenes of like uh of the shining where you see kubrick sitting back behind the camera and he's trying to get uh shelly or whatever to come out the door and he's trying to coordinate the smoke, the, all the haze and shit that's happening. And, he, and, and he's got his AD next to him. He's trying to, the AD calls roll in action before he, the smoke is ready. And it's like, <laughs> shit starts going crazy. She gets frustrated. She comes out the door. She's not supposed to. She goes back in. Then the whole set just kind of crumbles and falls apart. And the, you know, it's a really interesting, like, like really real moment of, of like the, House filmmaking is definitely not glamorous. It's like such a nuts and bolts organizational thing, you know, that it's like when you find yourself on a set with like five walkies strung across the thing with four monitors and you're trying to coordinate all the smoke and the rain and all the things happening and then, and, and then there's just like shit stops connecting or you lost video feed, you're like, oh, you know, like it's, it is, that's probably my biggest pet peeve. Pet peeve. Yeah. Understood. <laughs> and also people having like just the clash of ego that happens, I think is probably, you know, also really difficult to yeah negotiate. Yeah. yeah. Just being able to have like a, a culture that's kind of like, I don't know, the culture on set's kind of a big thing, like the vibe on set. It just seems like it's, it's everything. Yeah. How important is that to you? Like kind of orchestrating like what it feels like. You know, there's a lot of people who play music and are really have, that's the vibe was created through this party atmosphere or something, you know, like that's kind of, mine's a little bit more like specific than that. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's some things are helpful to use. Like some of those kind of tools are helpful to use, but I'm really going for, I'm going for like a, like a, a momentum you know, to shooting and like an intensity yeah. that yeah. is there. And 
you know, I always say like the best, the best film school is a sunset, you know, like you, you, mm. if you, if you want to learn how to make film, like the best thing to do is just go shoot the same sunset scene 20 times or something on 20 sunsets, like, wow. and bring it, bring somebody out there and you can do it with just stills too. You know, you don't even need a film camera to do the same thing and just see how a sun dropping puts the, puts the wheels in motion, you know, like how do you, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. it's going, it's going to be done at this specific time. Like, you know, which made me really good at ultimately made me better at like, uh, at, you know, celebrity talent because you have this similar kind of sunset effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People are just like <laughs> slipping out the door every take. You're like, no, 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 don't worry. We just got one more to do. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, uh, we, you know, you have managers looking at you like, like they want to fucking chop your head off. So, yeah. <laughs> Andre, what's like the uh, the biggest piece of uh, advice that you would give to younger filmmakers as we kind of like wrap up here? Uh, I think most people give the same advice, like you know, work, you know, shoot. Um, I would probably say that's you know, but I, you know, I did I did hear this one piece of advice from Kurosawa. It was pretty cool. It was about writing that I thought was pretty awesome because that's like kind of my next, my new thing. It's just like, like most directors as they start, you know, getting comfortable in one place, you're trying to learn other things. So yeah, like yeah. for me, it was like, you know, learning. He was like saying, he was talking about this, one of the big Japanese screenwriters and who was, he was basically writing scenes and just like any place he didn't have an idea, he would just write in like, Okay, there's a person. There's a scene here, or there's a person crying here, or something, you know. And uh, you know, like that idea of just doing as like a method of learning is a radical yeah. idea. I think in the case of for all of us, like where you want to learn to be a, a storyteller in the grandest sense, not just you know making pretty pictures. It's like the the um, the idea of writing writing screenplays and stuff as as a as a warm up for just being a better storyteller, I think is a round yeah. Yeah. exercise to do and it's fun too. Uh, but very different and very different than, than going out and shooting, which yeah. also is yeah. fun to do and should be done that way, same way. I mean, when I was a, you know, young filmmaker, it was like, I just would go out every, I went to like DC every day and sat on in at Freedom Plaza and like whoever showed up to shoot we, that's what we shot, you know, <laughs> that was the day. And so you, I, I feel like there, there's got to be a version of that for performance-oriented drama, you know. <laughs> all we want to do is put a camera on some great actors, you know, like can they just show up every day? <laughs> and we can just make, make up improv, you know, that would be fun. I like that. All right, Andre, thanks so much, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, and, I appreciate uh, it. Thanks for having me on. It's cool. It's cool that you guys are doing this good for people you know have a dialogue yeah i hope so this episode of good was mixed by christian stropko or as we like to call him christian number two as always our music today was created by cubby that's cubby with two b's and you can check out more of his music at cubbysounds.com also the season of good is produced by our new friend mary taylor who'd also like to say something. The more I listen to the show, the more I find myself hating the world and the sky and birds. To find out more info about today's episode, make sure to go to goodthepodcast.com. Goodthepodcast.com.